Welcome to Redemption Church. Let's stand up and sing together.
Welcome to Redemption Church. Good to see your faces this morning. We're going to begin with prayer. If you would, just um, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just invite you, as we always do, take a deep breath of air into your lungs. Just breathe it in deep and breathe out slowly as we try to signal to our bodies that we are entering into sacred space and sacred time, this place of Sabbath rest where we don't have to generate our lives. We don't have to do anything except stand here in the presence of God with our minds and hearts open to the God who is and who is among us. So let's, let's just stand in silence together for a few moments in the presence of God as we begin today. Lord, we give you thanks for the day. We are grateful for our lives, grateful for your love, for your spirit that has drawn us this morning to this place. And we just confess um, together our deep need for you, oh God. We need help with our lives. We need help with our world. And so we come together this morning and turn our bodies toward your body and blood toward this cross that stands at the center of history and changes everything and we submit ourselves to you in this time we ask you oh god to come to us this morning to speak to us to break through the defenses and and guards we have around our hearts to challenge us, to shake us awake, to comfort us and steady us. Whatever, whatever you need to do with us this morning, God, come to us, stay with us, we ask. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me in the call to worship. We will praise the Lord who counsels us. Even at night, our hearts instruct us. We have set the Lord always before us because you are at our right hand. We will not be shaken. Therefore, our hearts are glad and our tongues rejoice. We'll rest secure because you will not abandon us to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to us the path of life. You will fill us with your presence.
from the book of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came, and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The word of the Lord. Please stand and continue worshiping. Actually, I'm going to have you, sorry, be stay seated. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to invite Matt and Katie Ingram to come up. Um, today is the bi- a big day in the life of our church family and this family. This here, this dapper-looking dude is Oliver Lee Ingram. Say hi, Oliver. Look at his eyes. Katie said he's tired. You can just see it in his face. He's like, come on, people, with the tie. Oh my goodness, Oliver's just the happiest, sweetest kid already blessing our our church family. But Matt and Katie have come to do a dedication today for their child. You know, at Redemption Church, we have a whole kind of long um, 
course, or I guess you would call it pathway, journey of discipleship. We call it U18, under 18 ministries. And along the way, we set up these initiation rites, these moments where we stop for a second and we say, hey man, you've made some, you've made some progress here and, and we're proud of you and keep going. This is the next one for you. And this is, this is the first, this is the first one. Um, so it's a big deal. And um, there are some questions I'm going to ask you guys as parents, and then some questions I'm going to ask you guys as part of Redemption Church. So I'll begin with you, with um, mom and dad first. Got a pen of my cheaters. The Book of Common Prayer has really small print. Okay, so do you acknowledge? Oliver Lee Ingram's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, if so, say, we do. Do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits for Oliver? And by faith, do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your child as you do your own, if so, say, we do. Do you now unreservedly dedicate Oliver Lee Ingram to God? And do you promise by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit to live an exemplary life before your child? If so, say we do. Do you commit yourselves to pray with and for Oliver to teach your child the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say we do. And do you promise to use every means provided by God including faithful participation in the life of the church to bring Oliver up in the loving discipline of the Lord? If so, say, we do. And now for you, church family, do you, the members of this congregation, acting for yourselves and on behalf of the whole body of Christ, assume responsibility with these parents for the spiritual nurture of this child? If so, say, we do. And do you commit yourselves to set a godly example before this child, to provide as far as you are able all that is necessary to the end that this child may one day confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If so, say, we do. We do. All right, well, then Oliver, child of the covenant, <laughs> we, we welcome you to the family, man. Yeah, we're excited. And uh, I'm going to invite um, mom, uh, grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and family and Oliver's um, teachers in, in uh, uh, children's ministry to come on up here. And we're going to pray uh, a um, prayer of blessing. So come on up and crowd around and everybody try to get a hand on him without freaking him out. <laughs> um, just a little touch, if you will. And we have a blessing that we pray um, for all of our kids, always the same one. Um, and I invite um, Redemption Church as they're coming up, if you would stand and just raise your hand in a blessing. Let's, let's pray for, for Oliver. Come on, you guys, gather around. Everybody, everybody try to get a piece of them. Here, I'll, I'll give that to you. All right. All right, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon Oliver on this little life. Keep him safe and healthy and strong. Grant, O oh Lord, we ask, long, healthy, and beautiful life. 
Lord of all power and might, we ask that you would um, give Oliver good work to do with his hands, a vocation, a calling that he can love, and work that will help him find his place within the world and your new creation. God of love, we ask that Oliver would find friendship, companions upon the way of life, to make life sweet for him, to provide help and guidance and support and joy. We pray that his connection to his family will always be strong and never wane. We pray that Oliver would find a partner to love and serve with whom he can practice the fidelity of your kingdom. God of mercy, we ask that you would reveal yourself to him, that he would know you, that your Holy Spirit would take up residence in his heart and never, ever leave. God of grace, we ask that when trials come, that you would give Oliver the strength to stand. And when strength doesn't come and he falls, we ask that you would always be there to pick him up. And we pray that he would never know a single moment that he doesn't feel part of the people of God. And so we bless him and ask you to bless him on this day in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's give it up for Oliver. Welcome him to the family. Nothing stands between us, love. 
take a seat. to the time of prayers of the people, let's just take a moment in silence and praying and confessing to God. Lord, we publicly confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy in us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cries come to you. Father, we pray for the welfare of our world. Lord, there is so much to pray for and so much turmoil in our world today that it's hard to choose what needs attention more. There are times when it feels like the world is falling apart and we're all just hanging on by a thread. This morning we ask that through the chaos and the noise, your voice breaks through and reminds us who we are as your children and what our place is in this world as believers. Mold and stretch us to become more like you in every area of our life. Continue to teach us how to love, how to be forgiving, how to be patient, and how to be kind. Protect the vulnerable and the marginalized, the children, the elderly, the immigrant, the sick. Stand with those who are threatened or targeted because of race, religion, gender, or difference of any kind. For those who are here today who may feel that their suffering goes unnoticed, please walk with them. Be their comfort and their hope. Break through their pain and show them your loving spirit and how you understand what they're going through. You know above anyone what it feels like to be the outsider to be different, targeted, or misunderstood. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cries come to you. Continue to guide redemption as we strive to be a strong example of community, love, and grace to each other and to our neighborhood friends. Help us to be sensitive, to take time to listen, and to be unselfish and generous with one another. Remind us that our hope and peace lie only in you and not in our jobs or what school we go to or the county that we live in. For the youth of redemption, show them daily that you love them and that you stand with them. With all that's available to distract them in this world, we pray that you remain the magnet that keeps them tethered to love in this church body. Be with the leaders, the staff, and interns of redemption we're so grateful for all they do to make our church such a loving and welcoming community. 
and we pray for time this summer when they can refresh their spirits. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cries come to you. For those here this morning who are just plain exhausted by the trials of life, who are hard dealing with sickness, job uncertainty, family or relationship struggles, be present to them. Remind them and each of us that we're not going through this life alone. We praise you for the good and joyful times and seek your presence when joy seems miles away. We're grateful that you're always here walking life with us step by step, no matter where it takes us. And for the prayers we're not yet ready to voice, thank you for knowing what we need and for hearing the cry of our hearts. Lord, hear our prayer and let our cries come to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. If you'd like to tithe to Redemption Church, it's super easy. You can just go to our website, redemptionchurchkc.com, and there's a Give button in the upper right corner. You click on that, it's going to take you to a page with all the instructions of how you can set up one-time giving or monthly giving. And whatever you choose to do, we are very grateful. You can stand and we'll continue worshiping. Still, be still, my soul. When 
now time to bless our children. If you are new with us this morning, please feel free to find the person in the back with the U18 clipboard and they would love to show you where your child's classroom is. Otherwise, please feel free to assist your child in the transition to their classrooms by following them to the atrium and looking for our preschool, elementary, and Club 56 leaders. Um, our Club 56 will actually be going to the youth room to hear the youth lesson today. If you're with your child, put your arms around them and let's bless our kids. Lord, we ask you to bless our children. We know that before they belong to us, they belong to you, and that we are helping them to steward their lives for your kingdom. As we send them out to be together and with their teachers, we ask that you would go with them, that as they would read the scriptures, they wouldn't just see far-off names and places, but that they would catch a glimpse of you and your great love for all of us. More than anything, we pray that they would never know a single day that they don't feel a part of the people of God. So we bless them, and we ask you to bless them in Christ's name. And we pray, as we always do, that you would bind our hearts together as a church. Teach us to love each other and the world around us for your sake. Amen. Let's take a couple minutes to say hello and greet those around you.
So welcome everyone. Good morning to you. Um, our tradition at Redemption Church for the last, um, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, something like that, has been to focus primarily on the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, during our summer months. Um, and a lot of the reason for this is we want to read the Bible Jesus read. We want to know the scriptures that shaped Christ's imagination because it's going to color the way we read his actions, his teachings, his, his words. Last couple of summers, we've gone through Genesis, then Exodus, and this year we're in dun, 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 Leviticus, right? Just what you were wanting, which might seem strange. Um, it's probably one of the most neglected books of the Bible because it reads like a bunch of arcane religious practices, right? Just a bunch of laws we don't keep and practices we don't do anymore. But in fact, we talked about this last week, Leviticus is actually about all of life, normal things that you and I worry about every day. Is there going to be enough food for everyone in the world? Does everyone have a home to live in? Or are some people homeless? Does everyone have a way to make a living? How is wealth distributed in a society? Are we stewarding the earth or exploiting it? Um, how do we deal justly with immigrants with refugees? How do we resolve conflicts between neighbors? How do we make amends when we hurt someone? How do we pass on our faith to our children? Who should lead our church? Who should lead our society? All these things are, are concerns for Leviticus. So it's actually about normal things, but it's written in a very strange form. Most of it takes the form of these very detailed instructions, mostly to priests, um, which really points, if you think about it, to a larger tension within all of scripture that stems from the fact that in the Bible, and we've talked about this in Genesis and then again in Leviticus, here's your, your summerly reminder of the same thing. In the Bible, God lets God's children tell the story and they get it wrong more than they get it right. I mean, if you think about the way like a, a five or six-year-old kid talks about mom and dad, it's just it's fantastical, right? I mean, it's nice when you're in that stage. It's not realistic. Like, the, at that age, mom and dad are kind of demigods with superhuman strength and unimpeachable wisdom, which that's a hard crash when that whole thing comes tumbling down. But um, I mean, you think about, like, pre-adolescent, like 10, 10, 11, 12-year-old boys in the schoolyard talking with other boys about their fathers, like trying to one-up each other, exaggerating their dad's importance. Or then you think about how, like, late teens or early 20s kids talk about their parents suddenly blaming mom and dad for almost everything, right? And then hopefully as the years go by, the family story starts to take on a little more complexity, right? Some, some honesty, hopefully some grace. But it takes a long time to see mom and dad clearly and appreciate them for the complex human beings they really are. Well, when the, when the Torah is written... Um, it's not written by a fully mature and adult Israel. God's children tell the story, and early on they are children, especially during this season in the wilderness here. Sort of Israel's adolescence, if you will, with all the growing pains that are associated with this, including a lot of complaining about when can we go home, right? Um, and their view of God was very often fantastical, and it went through kind of a pre-adolescent rule of the schoolyard kind of phase. Um, they had an angsty 
kind of complicated late teens, early 20s. Exile was sort of like leaving home. Return was sort of like their entrance into genuine adulthood with their eyes open. That's not a perfect analogy, but hopefully it helps us see that in the Bible, God lets God's children tell the story and they often get things wrong about who God is and about what it means to be human. They often make God out to be inconsistent, angry and violent or vengeful. They often put words in God's mouth and actions in God's hands that God will disavow later on and say, I never said or did or wanted any of that. That was about you guys. And and this reality makes, especially the Old Testament, very difficult to read. And it it almost feels heretical even to, to say it, to talk about it. But this is a huge part of the story. God lets God's children tell the story. Which means that God agrees to live within the limits of human imaginations and cultures. God lets biblical authors use their own language to describe God. I mean, what other choice does God have? God interacts with with people whose imaginations are shaped by their own language and those categories of thought. And there are limitations to that always within any given language, any given society. And there's, there's really no way to think outside your thought world, to think outside your paradigm. You can't think thoughts that are outside your language. And, and, and we can't um, know concepts or ideas that we have no means of knowing or talking about. So there are limitations. And God sort of lovingly self-limits God's self. God agrees to live within those limits of human imaginations and languages and cultures. And then invites the people of God to, to use their own symbols, ideas, stories, habits, and customs to try to describe this divine encounter. Um, mostly how this happened was they just started using normal customs and practices of their culture, but in kind of explicitly religious ways. So in scripture you see this, these all kinds of cultural vehicles and modes to try and tell the story of their interactions with God. So they'll use ancient myths. We saw this in Genesis and, and a couple of discrete places. But they just change them slightly, often altering or subverting the meaning in important ways. They'll use poetry or songs that were contemporary to their age. They, they took narratives, stories, just straight from other surrounding cultures, but then they changed them just slightly to reflect this new encounter with God. They they created just like, I mean, wild apocalyptic narratives, like dystopian stories about the future. They told their history of of their people, events and actions. They, They had wild diatribes and like prophetic scoldings and predictions. They gave instructions on how to worship, how to organize their common life together. And God just says, do this, go ahead. God allows these different forms to be used to describe God. Forms that really only made sense to a particular people in a particular time. So translation's gonna be fun, right? Because these people inhabited a culture we don't inhabit. And no culture, no matter how advanced, no matter how intricate, can contain all there is to know about God, right? 
about the divine creator and sustainer of all that is. But God lets them try. God wants them to try. God lets God's children tell the story of God's interactions with the people in, in um, their cultures, language, forms, symbols, customs. And so part of what this means is that in the book of Leviticus, God agrees to live within the limits of the language and customs and imaginations of the Hebrew people, living in the early stages of their development as a nation, as a people. And so the story comes to us in the form of ancient Near Eastern ritual symbolism, which includes a lot of weird stuff, like sacred tents, like we looked at last week. I mean, most of Leviticus is instruction for what happens there in the wilderness at the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, right, which was a very common thing in their culture. Um, Every army that went into battle in those days from all the different nations had a Mishkan, a sacred tent, a tent of meeting from, from which the gods, their own gods, could come and speak to their leaders of their, their army. It was just a common thing. There's in Leviticus and, and Exodus and Leviticus a sacred mountain, like Mount Sinai. It's a very common symbol in those days. People would climb mountains to commune with their gods. And God just sort of agrees to live with the, within the limits of this particular people in this particular time and place with their peculiar symbols and customs. So in Leviticus, God becomes involved in, in things like animal sacrifices, burnt offerings, ritual cleansings. I mean, all religion back then was pretty bloody and gory. And and this will seem to us, as we read it, primitive, if not like barbaric and offensive to us. But God just agrees to live within the limits of this ancient culture. And we'll talk much more about this all along as we go. But just keep this in mind as we're reading the text. For God to reveal anything to humanity through human thought forms will require the use of human culture and human language which are limited things. And God just agrees to this out of love, to this self-limitation out of love because God wants to be known. And you gotta start somewhere, right? So this will require the use of human culture and language, which are limited things. It's sort of like when a, like when a parent self-limits in order to keep a kid in a game, if you're playing a game, and you don't like pound your kid, right? Like, that's not a good parental, I mean, some people do, but it's really awkward when it happens. You, you self-limit to let them play. God is always doing this. God has to do this with us. And, and what God is doing is, is living within limits because God wants to get to know the kid and the kid to get to, to know them and wants to move them along and help them progress in their life. So God lets God's children tell the story and agrees to live within the limits of that whole situation. However, however, God will begin to ask the people to make subtle changes in the way they engage those common practices. So God will alter the symbolic meaning behind what's otherwise a well-known ritual, or, or make like a small change to a practice, just a few degrees of difference, right, that will end up kind of revolutionizing the people's understanding of who God is and what it means to be human. 
And over time, like down through the centuries, with this one people, God will genuinely grow and improve the Hebrew people's view of God. It's what's sometimes called progressive revelation of God's self to God's people. You know, God's always working within language, culture, symbols, but then subverting and changing the language, the actions in important ways to reveal God's character. For, for instance, um, the ancient Near East, all the cultures were polytheistic. All of them were. That means, it just means they believed in, in many gods. They, each one had their own kind of pantheon. And the gods were kind of basically superhumans or else they were um, just like the personification of the forces of nature. Everybody started out in polytheistic cultures, even the Israelites. And, and they worshiped many gods and Yahweh was not one of them. In fact, the creator God from Genesis was, seemed to be silent. It was all but forgotten. Human culture had just kind of gone its own way and there was much confusion till this guy Abram, Abram could actually hear from Yahweh. And he had this miraculous connection to the creator God. So God renames him Abraham and pulls him over to the side and and says, I'm going to hammer my image into the life of your family and then I'm going to bless you so that you can come back and, and bless the nations with a sense of who I am. So I'm going to I'm going to hammer my image into you and you're going to bear that image to all the world and you will be a blessing to them and, and through you the world will know me again. That was that was the idea. And so it was around 1400 BC Abraham Abraham moved from polytheism to it's not mon- monotheism yes yet it's it is what should be called monolatry monolatry if you think about idolatry it's the worship of idols monolatry is the worship of one god but without denying the existence of other gods i mean if you could go back in time and ask abraham isaac and jacob what they thought about say the egyptian gods or the the canaanite gods they'd say well those gods might exist but they're not for us to worship. There are many gods, but this one is ours, Yahweh. We worship one, this one God. It really wasn't until the exile, long after Leviticus, and that time we're talking about this summer, that they converted to a strong monotheism. Monotheism is the, it, the belief that there is only one God, the creator and sustainer and redeemer of all that is. And then centuries later, Christians would come along and alter this belief again with um, Trinitarianism, which is a form of monotheism, the belief that God exists um, as one um, as one God with these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit in loving relationship. God exists as community. That's Trinitarianism. And so we're in the early stages here of this long, progressive revelation over thousands of years, where God lets God's children tell the story, even though they're going to get it wrong a lot, through polytheism, monolatry, monotheism, to Trinitarianism, God's patiently, lovingly, limiting God's self, working within human cultures, correcting the people, challenging the people, revealing more when they have the capacity, helping them to mature and grow in their understanding of God. And, and so there were these big leaps that happened, like in Genesis, with, with Abraham 
and his leap from polytheism to this monolatry. Big leaps in Exodus, a ton of them we talked about last year, where um, Yahweh, they, they learn this God is a God who hears the cry. God's ear is attuned to the cry of the, the oppressed. And this God moves in response to free the captives from bondage. One of their huge leaps was that the God who hears the cry and frees the captives is the same God as the creator God from their, from their origin stories. And the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All, all the same God. They're just starting to put this together now. It's the same God who brought them out of Egypt. So it's all coming together in Exodus here. And then this God, in the, right in the middle of Exodus, tells them to build a mishkan, a tabernacle, or a, a tent of meeting at the center of the camp. Right? Just like all the other nations had. But this would be a, a place where their God could dwell with in the midst of people. They arrange their camp all around this, right? Only God kind of messes with this common symbol, right? The Mishkan. There, there's a problem that emerges at the end of Exodus. God's presence descends upon the tent of meeting. Remember the cloud um, by day and at night it lights up and pops and crackles with God's presence. And at the end of Exodus, Moses is stuck outside the tent. He's supposed to be inside. He's stuck outside the tent. He can't go in. He's afraid. And so part of the big reveal in the Exodus narrative is God's presence is a crisis. God's presence is always a crisis. And just think about that for a moment. Because a lot of time we're, we're kind of programmed to think we're longing for God's presence. I think there is a sense in which this is probably true for all of us. There are times when the presence of God for us is a crisis. I wonder what that looks like for you. See, hanging over the book of Exodus here as we move into Leviticus is this question of why. Why did God rescue them? Was it just to rescue some random people from slavery and set them free? Is that it? Was there a larger purpose behind it. And what the children of Israel came to believe was the answer to that question is God set them apart, saved them um, for a mission. They had a mission to mediate God's presence to the rest of the world. Exodus 19.6 says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a kadosh nation, a holy nation. So they had a calling to keep this progress, this progressive revelation going, to keep the story moving forward by getting to know this God and then mediating this God's presence to, to the world. But then when this God actually shows up, there's a crisis. God's presence elicits, elicits a huge crisis. Moses, their holiest holy man who led them out of Egypt, he can't even go inside the tent. He's afraid. Other problems we know from the story. They were worshiping the golden calf. They whine and complain. They even ask Moses to take him back to Egypt. It's a crisis. And this is how Exodus comes to a close. And sort of the question then, hanging over the book of Leviticus, is why? Why is God's presence such a crisis? For human beings. 
And the answer that they give comes to us in the form of a Hebrew word that is kadosh. It's the word that we translate as as holy. God's presence is a crisis for human beings because of kadosh. Say that with me, kadosh. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about what this word means, kadosh, holy. And and to try to um, embrace a Hebrew mindset around this, I, I need you to try and sort of just for a moment forget everything that you think you know about this idea of holiness. Because the word holy, like for some of you, may elicit strong feelings. Anybody have a strong emotional response to the word holy, holy or holiness? Yeah. Okay. So just kind of relinquish that for a minute. Let's see if we can climb inside the Hebrew mindset for a few moments and think about this word kadosh. What is this? What does it mean to people, you know, 1400 B.C.? almost 2,500 years ago. Well, Kadosh seems to mean something like set apart. Literally, that's what the, the word means, set apart. So think about that for a moment. What does it mean to be set apart? So if something is set apart, that means a division occurs between what's being set apart and what is not. So there's a distinction being made between two things. A kind of otherness is being created here or recognized. One way to think about this is like you have normal categories of things that are ordinary, common, mundane. And then there's this whole other category that are not those things, right? Those things are kadosh in comparison. Or another way to, to think about this is a distinction is being made between things that um, cannot be or function as they were intended versus those that can. So things that cannot function as they're intended, are not kadosh. The others are set apart from that. Those things are not set apart. They've been, um, some of the words we might use are like profane, impure, contaminated. They're not kadosh, which will be problematic. If you remember way back in the book of Genesis, when we started, you know, there are two, two creation narratives in those early chapters. And um, within them are embedded these kind of primal tensions within creation, the threat of barrenness and the threat of chaos, remember? And this is what God speaks into to to create things. So barrenness, if you remember, is there's not enough. Something's lacking. Some essential function is is missing. So a thing doesn't, doesn't function the way it's intended to. It makes it not kadosh, not holy. Chaos is the opposite. Chaos means there's there's too much going on. Things are now disordered. They're profaned by a foreign presence, some attachment that hinders function, some impurity that threatens the form. And this creates chaos, right? Not kadosh. So, so to be kadosh, set apart, holy, a distinction is being made between two things. The, the Hebrew word for distinction there is vadal. Um, it means to divide, to distinguish. For something to be set apart, there has to be a distinction made. And categories created. And so it's not just you know, ordinary, common, mundane. It's not just profane, impure, contaminated. It's not just barrenness or chaos. There's also this other more authentic form, kadosh, um, that is um, related to this idea of shalom that we talk about a lot, peace, 
Kadosh and Shalom are deeply related. And so the, the question is, why, right? Why is, God's, why is God's presence a crisis? The answer is Kadosh, holiness. And to get holiness, you have to make these distinctions. So why is God vadaling? Why, why is God distinguishing like this? Why the division? I think the key to the answer goes all the way back to Genesis 1, the first account of creation. Remember on, on, the, on the first day, actually days 1, 2, and 3, God vadals, same, same Hebrew word. God distinguishes between things, divides things, makes a distinction between light and darkness, things like water and sky, like day and night, right? And then if you remember, the distinctions God makes on day one are then filled in day four. And the distinctions God makes on day two are then filled in day five. And the distinctions God makes on day three are filled in day six. So it's always this process of making a distinction and then filling it with something um, some part of creation that keeps chaos and barrenness at bay, that helps everything find shalom, peace, everything in its place, doing what it's intended to do, relating rightly to everything else that is and thereby all of it flourishing. That's what the distinction is for in Genesis. So here in Leviticus, this Kadosh, holiness, this Fadal, this distinction. Maybe God is making the distinction here, same word, for the same reason. So that God can fill it with new content, new revelation that will help keep barrenness and chaos at bay. Remember, all this is taking place in a crisis amidst this long progressive revelation of the nature of God. And so it seems like at least part of why God is doing this, um, creating this category of kadosh, is that so God can distinguish God's self, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God that brought them up out of Egypt, distinguish God's self from the polytheistic gods who were often just conflated with nature. You know, everybody had, we talked about this in the um, 10 plagues, everybody had a, you had a sun god, you had an earth god, sky, water, fire, rain gods. All of nature had a god. Part of what God seems to be saying when he says, I am kadosh, holy, set apart, is I'm not like the Egyptian gods. I'm not like the Canaanite pantheon. I'm kadosh, set apart from those gods. And I'm also not just another name for creation itself. I am set apart, kadosh, from that. And, and God then makes this distinction to fill that space with new content about God's nature. Thoughts about God no one had thought before. God makes this distinction, distinguishes God's self from other gods and from creation. So God is God here in, in the beginning of Leviticus and of Exodus. God is revealing God's self to be distinct from creation. And this is a genuinely new idea in the history of human thinking about God. God is distinct from creation. God is not a thing in the universe. God is not a thing on a list of other things. God has a whole other way of existing that can't be touched by that idea. God is holy, set apart, 
holy other, not like the other gods, and not just another name for creation. And so this is a genuine leap forward in the history of human understanding about God. And and the Hebrew God is distinct from creation from here on out, Kadosh. And suddenly the people are relating to a, a God who's categorically different from any of the other the Egyptians, the Canaanite religions, any, anybody they're going to run to here has a whole other way of being, which for the people, when they run into it, is a crisis, always a crisis, because of this distinction, this kadosh, this different set-apart way of being. But now that God has done this, God can begin to fill it with new Content And the whole goal of this, this is where this week connects to last week. And once we've made this connection, we're ready to jump in next week to the text and read through. The the whole point of that distinction is then to reveal something, to fill it with content, and then bring them back together to do atonement, atonement. Remember this from last week. If you didn't listen to or weren't here, go listen to it and you'll catch up. There's this... The center of Leviticus is atonement, this at one minute, this reconciliation. And so if you think about it, this is just this is really the pattern of the story of God over and over and over. Did it with Abraham, pulling Abraham's family off to the side, hammer the image in so he can they can go back and bless the nations. Does it with with um, Genesis, you know, separating creation, making the distinction, filling it with things with living life. Um, God makes the distinction with Moses, between Moses and the Israelite people, send Moses up on the mountain to, to kind of fill that space with new content. He comes back and reconciles the people back to God. God will do the same thing with Israel, um, separating them. God says to them, Leviticus 19, to be kadosh because I, the Lord your God, am kadosh. Be holy because I am holy. God's asking them to be the same as God, to be set apart. And then God, like, leaves them out there in the wilderness for 40 years with these weird, strange customs and this whole new law that we're going to get into in Leviticus to kind of make them distinct as a culture and then to bring them back into the rest of the world as a nation of priests who mediate God's presence and reconcile the whole world back to God. God sets things apart as kadosh, holy, so that they can eventually become reconciled back. Not just ordinary, common, and mundane, right? They're elevated, right? And not not, um, profane and impure and contaminated, but having undergone atonement, atonement, they're brought into right relationship with God, with self, with each other, and the world. All right, so step back now to to Leviticus. Why is God's presence such a crisis for the people of God? The answer they give is, well, God is set apart, not like the rest of the gods. So we're working without a net here. And this God is not just conflated with nature, okay? This is not a God like other gods. God's presence is a crisis to us. And, And so what God asks the children of Israel is, you know, to, to become distinct, set apart as well within their culture, within their religious life, so that God can fill that with new understanding of who God is 
and they can image that God more clearly to the rest of the world and bring it together for, for the reason, for the mission of at-one-ment reconciliation. Which leaves the children of Israel and us with this terrible question. How? How do we become Kadosh? Especially when, if you've been in the church your whole life, you know that that has been the tip of the sword. People telling us how to be holy has caused a lot of pain. How can God's people become kadosh, holy, set apart, without becoming arrogant or cruel or closed off to those who are truly hurting in a world without God, without an understanding of who God is. This is what the book of Leviticus is going to be about. And we have to work hard to interpret it because it's in that kind of old, ancient ritual, Near Eastern religious ritual symbolism stuff. This is what it's about. And the short answer, I'll just kind of give you a quick teaser so you keep coming back. Um, the short answer is God's going to give them a structure for their lives. New habits, rhythms, and practices that were very close to the habits, rhythms, and practices of other people of their day, but just different, tiny but different in very important ways. Altering their meaning and their purpose, right? Changing their function just a little bit, just a few degrees, but over time these small differences would, would really distinguish them from the nations. They would, be, they would become kadosh, set apart. Still are. It's a little bit like when... Um, if you ever known somebody who has struggled with uh, like drug or alcohol addiction, when they decide, okay, I got to get clean, they go to a treatment facility. It's inpatient, right? And they don't show up and just go, you know, like hang out, get some coffee. If you want to smoke, it's over there, and just um, just chill out and see, you know, where the spirit spirit leads. They structure every single minute of every single day when you go into one of these facilities, because. They're trying to train them in a whole new way of being, right? And so every activity they have is, is trying to train them and equip them to live their life in a new way, clean and, and sober. And so they're divided off in a treatment facility, taken out of just normal everyday life. They're distinguished and set apart for a specific purpose, which is to learn a whole new way of life that involves relating to themselves, to other people, to God to their work, to substances, to the earth in, in a sense, that will hopefully result in this time when they can come back into the world. And, and these new habits can last when they enter in. They can maintain that kadoshness, that holy set-apartness, and help others become sober as well. You know, it's part of the AA, part of all the treatment stuff is to be a service to others. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of a good image, I think. It's not perfect, but it helps us see what God is trying to do here. And so we'll, we'll begin to see in Leviticus a lot of the analogs or early origins of Christian practices we still do. Things like baptism. Things like dedication of a child. right? Things like Eucharist. 
Sabbath, tithing, they'll be here. Weekly worship, daily pray, prayer, it's going to be here. Time for community, time for solitude, it's in Leviticus. The idea of peacemaking and becoming paired with the outcasts, you guys, you're not going to believe how much of Christ's teaching is here in Leviticus. And these things are meant to, in a sense, distinguish us from culture, make us kadosh, holy, set apart, but not so we can feel better or superior to others, but so we can come back and take up our cross, come back, lay down our lives. We'll have to reinterpret all this stuff through Christ as well, which is going to be, I mean, hold on to your hats because it gets really intense. But then our job, the reason for holiness is to come back and lay down our lives and help the world become reconciled to God. And the origins of much of our Christian practices, really all of these, are here in Leviticus. We're starting with some of them next week, but let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this Torah, these first five books, for the long walk through Genesis and Exodus, and here in the wilderness with the people of God as we think through Leviticus, as we head into learning about sacrifices, learning about how to adjudicate problems, learning about how, to, how you make atonement, how we make atonement at one minute. And as we think about this wild, ancient structure and try to relate it to the structure of our lives, we ask you, oh God, for help and for eyes to see you at work in the world. We ask you to build tethers between the life of faith that we know in this ancient story. We ask that as we, um, as we pour over this Bible that Jesus read, that you would open to us the mind of Christ, his way of thinking and feeling and acting. And that our lives will come to reflect the glory of you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Invite you to stand, please, and we're going to receive communion now. The origins of this, of course, go all the way back to Exodus and Passover. And um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, observing the Passover feast, he took a loaf of bread, and after he had blessed it, he hands it out to his guys and says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took one common cup, same way, passed it around. They shared in the common cup as one community. He said, this, this cup is a new covenant, a new deal between you and God in my blood, my life. And he said, whenever you gather, eat this bread, drink this cup. In a sense, he's saying, take my life into your life. Be made out of the stuff I'm made out of. And then sent out into the world to be salt and light and let the world feast on on you and your life and and find reconciliation. So, so this is why we observe this every week as a church and this is also why we put no limits on it. Anybody who calls on the name of Christ can come join us at the table. So if you would join me in a blessing on the bread and cup.
Lord, we do ask your blessing on this bread and this cup. May it be to us a means of your grace, a spiritual food and drink. And as we receive it into our bodies, may we receive you once again. Come and live inside us. Make us new from the inside out. And then send us out into the world to be salt and light. And let the world feast on us and taste and see your goodness. All to the glory of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. Will you come?
announcements stuff I want you guys to know first of all um, we host something called the newcomers class if you find yourself with questions about this funny little group of people um, the newcomers class is a place to bring your questions that is happening tonight it's the first of two classes the first one is tonight at five o'clock in this building so you'll have a chance to kind of hear the story about how redemption uh, came to be a church and then you can ask uh, Tim any deep theological questions that you have or even shallow theological questions. Any of those are welcome. Um, let's see. The second thing is next weekend, we will host our food pantry as we do every first Saturday of the month. Um, but I just wanted to clarify that uh, if you volunteer, please do come next Saturday, even though it's kind of a holiday weekend. So if you want to volunteer, please arrive about 12.15 and we'll, we usually wrap up by about two. So we would welcome your help. And then finally, on the 17th of July, we are having the baptism kind of slash church picnic. If you would like to be, you'll get more details on that, but if you would like to be baptized, um, you can send an email to Beth Price, whose name is all over the website, or you can just talk to me afterwards. That's it. Thanks, Mandy. Yeah, or, or come grab me if you want to talk about baptism. I'm happy to talk um, to you about it. If your parents wondering about it for your kids, um, come grab me afterwards. We can talk about it, um, too. I want to, real quick before we dismiss, I wanted to ask, you know, this last week was our um, our soccer camp. I wanted to ask if everyone who volunteered at the camp or if you were a camper, if you would stand up right now. So volunteers, coaches, people who brought food, anybody who helped with the camp, would you stand up, please? And could the rest of us recognize them and say thank you? Thanks, you guys. Grateful. All right, go ahead and be seated. I just wanted to recognize you and just say thank you. We had each day, I think um, most of the days except for the rain, rain day, which was in here, we had around 55, 60, maybe plus kids, a lot of parents from the neighborhood hanging around too, getting to know folks from the church. And it was beautiful. It was, it was completely lovely watching kids from our church and kids from our neighborhood hang out and play together. There's a guy named Alvi. I can't, I don't even know Alvi's last name. I just call him Alvi, who stepped in for Cole and ran the camp. He's a, a soccer coach here in town with Toka and runs a program over here. Saw some neat things happen between Alvi and, and the kids. It was just, it was a beautiful thing. So thank you, especially to, they're probably not in here, um, our summer interns, Joel and Gabriel Bustamante. Um, if you see them after service, um, pat them on the back and say good job because they, they really worked their tails off this week and made it all happen. So they did a great job. Thank you guys um, to those of you who served. Um, if you would now stand and receive this benediction, I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just hold your um, arms out in front of you with your palms up in a posture of openness and receptivity to God. we think about this idea of kadosh, holiness, God's way of being, and then this set-apartness that God asks of us. And as we, um, as we open our hands here toward the heavens, we think about God placing this call into our hands. That it, may, it may feel like a heavy burden, but... I promise you it's good news, you guys. It's good news. 
and the and you were made to respond to this. So I pray that we'll keep our our hands open to God as we study the book of Leviticus. And as you do, may the Lord bless you and keep you, Redemption Church. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace, everyone.